Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 5 The Club I'm a bit hungover today. No surprise there then. I don't usually do this now, after four hours of sleep. But I want to get this recorded before I forget. I haven't been to the shop in a few days, ever since whatever it was happened. I've been having nightmares of being chased by something I never see. But I can hear the low growls. And somehow I know what it is and that I need to get away from it. As much as I'd like to think it's just me, stress getting to me, or an undiagnosed mental condition, I just can't convince myself. It's that shop. It's Madame Norna and the work she does, tearing away my perspective of the world until I'm left with something I didn't recognise. I try not to dwell on these things. In fact, I've been actively avoiding the subject with a very healthy dose of booze and night soup. Maybe it's done something to my memory, making me see things. So, me and my pals are at this club no far from here in the town centre. The one where every student and their dog ends up on a Friday and Saturday night because it's the only decent place to go. Maybe no even decent, just the only place. We've all been drinking for hours, mostly shots, bucky and do want to say gin. But after a while it all tastes the same. We're all steaming, so the night's gone well. We're dancing together, we each other, we randos. The music is so loud you can feel it beneath your feet. Everyone has their hands up, dunes swirling round them. I'm having a grand old time. Then it starts to get hot and I begin to feel my calves burning. The alcohol's starting to wear off, and the reality of my surroundings is starting to show itself. I've been splashed with something I hope is beer. It's not just my calves that hurt, but my feet. And the two grinding together beside me is beginning to make me feel like I stumbled into a private show. To completely kill my buzz, one of my pals, Michelle, weaved her way through the crowd like only a master can coming in our direction. She didn't look happy, more like the burden that alcohol had made her forget had returned with a vengeance. I stopped dancing, much to my legs' relief, to ask her what was the matter. By asking, I mean going as close as I could to her ear and shouting so she could hear me over the beat. She said that she was being followed round the place by a lad who wouldn't leave her alone. I started to scan the crowd to see if I could tell who this lad was, searching the sea of faces and bodies that surrounded us. The strange thing was that it didn't take me long to find the likely culprit. He was tall, rising above most of the people in the club, but the most distinctive feature was the cleft chin that I could make out even at some distance. He was leaning against the bar, practically on the other side of the club for us looking straight at us with an intense stare and trouble carved into the set of his features. I say looking at us, but his eyes were glued to Michelle, 
almost predatorily. What worried me more was I couldn't seem to focus on his face. It was distorted, and no matter how many times I blinked, squinted or blamed the flashing lights, it wouldn't clear up. The shape of his face and the colour of his hair were the only details I could be certain about. It was probably the alcohol. It had no worn off as much as I'd thought. I'm also blaming that for the light layer of smoke that floated in the air round his hand and the drink he held in it. Needless to say, I didn't need to go nearer to know I didn't like him. In the half chance I was wrong, I checked with Michelle and she confirmed solemnly that he was the lad. Now, I wanted to go and say something. Why should he get away with ruining her night? But Michelle shook her head when she saw what I was thinking, telling me that if she ignored him he might go away. I didn't believe it, but wasn't about to upset her. Instead, I pulled the rest of our group further into the crowd, hoping he'd lose sight of us. It wasn't closing time for another few hours and the rest of my pals didn't want to leave, so we stayed. A club's really shite if you're starting to sober up, but I couldn't go and get another drink because of that arsehole, so he ruined my night as well. In more ways than just that. I tried to keep an eye on Michelle, but as the most sober one of the group, it was like trying to herd sheep. One was about to have a fight with a lassie we didn't know, claiming there'd been some kicking going on. Another's phone had to be confiscated to stop her from calling her roastery an ex. The usual drama. At some point I inevitably lost Michelle, and the next time we met was closing time, when we were all in line to get our jackets. Amidst the drunken, I love ya pal, I noticed that Michelle was new ways. No sooner had I started looking fair, I saw as she walked past, arm in arm with the cleft chin lad free earlier. Without really thinking, I left the rest of the mob in the queue and ran after her, managing to catch them before they got to the stairs to leave. The first thing that came to my mind to say was, you forgot your jacket. Michelle leaned in close and whispered that she wouldn't be needing it, followed by a suggestive wink that even I wasn't drunk enough to miss. Before I could say anything in reply, her new pal interrupted us, ensuring that he'd make sure she was safe. Saying it like that makes anyone with any sense think you're going to do the opposite. This time he was close. A bit too close for my liking. And the unsettling thing was, I still couldn't quite focus on his face, as if I was looking through my granny's glasses. I could see his dark grey eyes, the neatly combed honey blonde hair, but everything else, the shape of his nose, the state of his skin, the wee details were blurred. I focused my attention on Michelle, trying to contort my face into a question, checking if she was really sure she wanted to go anywhere with this creep. But her face had this glazed look to it, almost like she'd mixed alcohol with medication. Growing quite concerned by this point, I reached out and placed my hand on her wrist, giving it a wee squeeze in the hopes that it'd wake her from her trance. I asked her if she was sure, my final attempt at throwing her a lifeline before I'd be forced to watch as she left with a weirdo. As soon as the question had fallen from my mouth, Michelle dropped the stranger's arm like it was infected and stumbled unsteadily back, glancing with panic between the both of us. She began shaking her head confusedly, 
stating that she wanted to go home. I directed her to our pals who were waiting in the queue for the cloakroom. I didn't turn to the lad until I saw her safely with him. When I did look back at him, he was eyeing me with a peculiar expression. No like the one he gave Michelle, predatory and confident. The one he gave me was something I've no seen since I punched a lad at school when I was twelve because he pinged the back of my bra. An unsteady concoction of confusion and fear. I warned him, channeling my inner twelve-year-old, to leave Michelle alone. I'm not stupid enough to stick around to hear a retaliation, so I walked away towards my pals in the queue and eventually lost sight of the stalker. I would have said I was almost completely sober by this point, but it's what happened next that makes me think otherwise. As we were still waiting in the eternal queue for the cloakroom, I glimpsed something that shouldn't be there. Beside the door to the stairs that led outside was a wee brown rabbit, sitting bonny with its ears sticking up. Its button nose wiggled ever so slightly from left to right as if it were smelling a fresh carrot. By the way it was staring at me, glassy eyes wide and innocent, you'd have thought I was the one with the carrot. As soon as it realised it had my attention, it began to hop its way over to the stairs. I thought I'd get trampled on, it was so wee. But no one of the drunken partiers stumbled anywhere near it. It arrived at the top step, and a few seconds later, the white cotton ball of an arse disappeared down. I didn't know what anyone else would do, but apparently I just follow my hallucinations now. After carelessly handing over my cloakroom ticket to one of my pals, the next thing I remember is being halfway down the stairs, eyes fixated on that white tail. Somehow I managed to swerve ruin the rest of the people taking their first unsteady steps home. Why did I follow? That's a fucking good question. There was no song like with the sailors and the sirens. No encouragement for someone. In short, no rhyme or reason, but something in my heed, so hidden and unknown, wanted me to follow that rabbit. I must be going daft, but whatever it is, mental illness or something else, it's starting to scare me. A lot. I continued to follow it until it led me to a cobbled alley beside the club entrance. I know how that sounds. At the time it should have got some reaction, but I was hypnotised, lured into tunnel vision. Then it disappeared. I'm no talking ran off or disappeared in a poofy smoke. One minute it was hopping and the next it was gone. My eyes scanned around, barely able to see anything in the amber light streaming through the lampposts. Mostly everything was in shadow. That was when I heard something from deeper into the alley, where the giant bins and steaming grates are. It was a loud thud, like something falling on the ground, if that something was a person. I began to squint, edging further into the alley, trying not to be tripped by the uneven cobblestones. When I realised what I was seeing, I wished I hadn't left the queue inside. I was closer than I wished to be, so I'm pretty sure this is what I saw. There was a man, bent over, dragging a barely conscious, if not completely out of it, lassie, further into the alley. 
She was leaving a trail. And by the metallic taste in the air and the glistening surface, I began to think it was blood. The man pulled her further into the darkness of the alley. He eventually placed her into a circle on the ground, scrawled with what I was hoping was black paint. There were a few candles on the boundary, lighting up more detail than I wanted to see. I must have still been drunk, because no sober person would ever be this stupid. I stepped further into the alley and said that I'd call the police if he didn't let the lassie go. (sighs) Why didn't I run? Why didn't I go and get help? I've played this bit over and over in my head and I can't understand myself. Standing up to a creep in a club is expected, a right a female passage. But interrupting an assault or murder or whatever it was is mental. When he whipped his head up to look at me, can you believe it was Mr Clef Chinfrey earlier? Obviously, after no getting his way with Michelle, he'd found another poor lassie to take advantage of. It would be my luck to meet him in a dark alley, wouldn't it? He said something strange next, although I didn't think he can say anything normal in a situation like that. You again, he sighed. I would meet someone like you, wouldn't I? I at least had the sense not to say anything. Or maybe his question didn't seem weird at the time. I kept my distance, hoping my phone wouldn't slip out my hand, it was so sweaty. Again, I channelled my inner 12-year-old and told him to let the lassie go in my most threatening tone, which doesn't seem to work on Kronos, the cat, so probably had no chance of working on that cycle. Predictably, he refused and gave his reason that he needed a lassie as a sacrifice for the ritual and that I'd already taken away the perfect one. Oh, and he wasn't afraid of me. But it was said with an ounce of uncertainty. Like that bairn in class who refuses to do something the teacher tells him to so he can look cool in front of his pals. But deep down, he knows he's getting a bollocking later. I've got no words. And I had no words at the time. He lost me at sacrifice. It was hard to concentrate on what he was saying over the deep thuddy my heart pounding in my ears. My vision was already beginning to spin and I knew the hangover headache wasn't far behind it. A mixture of booze, confusion and general roasterness stopped me from knowing what to do or being able to think clearly. I should call the police. My phone was in my hand. But there was a disconnect between my brain and my fingers. They never made it to the emergency button. It might have been a few seconds. It might have been a millisecond. But the man was within arms reaching me quicker than he should have been at that distance. I wasn't that close. I made sure of that. Before he could reach me, someone else joined us in the alley. You're never going to believe it because I didn't. But it was Finn, Madame Norna's friend we benefits. He was right beside me, his hand grabbing the man's by the wrist, preventing a very sharp-looking knife from being plunged into my stomach. I might have yelped, I might have been silent, but I nearly fell on my arse, stumbling back. It was like I was in a nightmare, except I couldn't wake up. Everything made that much sense, it may as well have been a dream. 
After a few seconds, a tense silence Finn threw the man's hand away in disgust. Of all the things Finn could have said, he chose, you know who I am. It made as much sense at the time as it does now. None. Clef Chin stared at Finn, as if trying to find something, like the answer was lying in the curves and lines of his face. Whatever he saw there, he didn't like, because after a moment or two, his eyes bulged, he paled, and then stumbled back, as if Finn had given him a slap. From where I was barely standing, I couldn't see Finn's face, but his shoulders were tense, squared and I could just make out the outline of the veins on his neck as they pushed against his skin. I knew if they what I was seeing, and the faint tingling in my fingertips, that he was raging. He told Clef Chin to run back to the rat's nest he'd come free, and he didn't want to see his face again. The psycho didn't need to be told twice. A much like myself with a spider gave Finn a wide berth as he scuttled through the alley. I half expected Finn to turn on me next with a rage I could feel radiating from him like steam from a boiling kettle. But when he turned to look at me, he had an amused smile spread across his face. He told me I should be more careful and that lassies weren't supposed to wander the streets by themselves at night. And then he said we were even. Even? I managed to repeat. In a very Madame-esque way, he shrugged and informed me I'd find out soon enough before he suggested I return to my pals and that he'd help the lassie. I was more than willing to follow the last order and I left the alley to return to the club. I was silent all the way home, no able to join in the drunken karaoke session of my pals. A part of me thinks I should have stayed, Helped him with the lassie and the polis, if he even called them. But I was saturated with weird. I'd had enough. I hadn't gone to the shop in days because I wanted a break. I wanted that normality life had before the shop, where the biggest problem I had was what pot noodle to have for dinner. But it found me anyway, and I'm beginning to understand that there is no normal anymore. The shop, the things in it, the events that orbit it, that's the new normal. I get it now. I can't keep burying my head in the sand, can I? I can't keep stringing things together with incomplete and outlandish theories that deep down I think I've always known didn't fit right, didn't explain everything. I'm ready for answers now, whatever they may be. Thank you for listening to episode 5 of The Antique Shop. Episode 6 will be released next Thursday. If you like this episode, please tell your friends or leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't enjoy this episode or this series, you may be more interested in our other podcast, The McElwraith Statements, which is complete and available to listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support Ghostly Thistle and everything we do, then please head over to our coffee account by searching for Ghostly Thistle on coffee.com and making a donation. If you'd like to get in touch with me about this show, my previous one, or anything else, then my email address is ghostly.thistle at gmail.com 
or you can visit me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you tune in next week.